There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Blair and Colin. Blair, good to have you back. Thanks, Colin. I feel so privileged. Last week I had Steve on the show. This week I have you. At some point, Greg will be back. I'm not sure when, but it's nice to mix it up a little bit. Well, it's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Greg's out gallivanting around the world, I guess. Doing something anyways. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm sure he's having fun. But last week, Steve and I interviewed a guy named Brad Barrett. Did you get a chance to listen to that one yet? Yes. Yes. That's the, that's the <laughs> correct answer. Very good. Brad Barrett, an advisor, author, and podcaster, real good person. And it was a very fun discussion. And I hope that others go back and listen to it. But today we're going to talk about something completely different. I think the correct term is we're going to pivot. That's a business term. You've heard that one before. I have. Yeah. We're going to get agile. That's another business term. And we're going to be scalable and robust. Think outside the box. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to talk about various pension and registered accounts, their meanings and purposes, and also what strategies you should be doing with them. So to kick it off, we'll be diving into the world of pension plans, RRSPs, RRIFs, LIRAs, and LIFs. So these acronyms can be pretty confusing, but fear not, we're here to shed some light on them. And I'm sure you've had these discussions with people over the past, like they'll talk about, I don't know, how, how do they mix it up? Like TSFA, I hear a lot. Oh, well, you hear all kinds of names of products, acronyms. I think people were calling them TIFSA for a while. TIFSA, yeah, yeah. And I didn't really know what that was. And But yeah, I mean, all these acronyms get a bit confusing. Especially there's a new one, that first home savings account. It's going to be FAHISA, something like that. Yeah. But let's start with pension plans. Let's go into what a pension plan is. So a pension plan, as people know, is a retirement savings vehicle that is typically sponsored by an employer. And it's designed to provide income to people after they retire. So the employer and or the employee contribute to this plan over the working years. And upon retirement, the employee receives regular pension payments. And there's a difference between some of those pension plans, whether they be defined benefit plans or defined contribution plans. I think we're going to get into a bit of that. So let's do that. Yeah. When it comes to pension plans, it's important to know that there are a number of different types available. We'll go through them. I mean, if you've been with an employer for a long time, 15, 20 years, and some people have been, you know, it could be a, a large contribution that you have employers put in. So one key distinction though, is between defined benefit pension plans that define contribution pension plans. And we talk to a lot of clients about that because that can be a little confusing. And these are very different because they remove the onus from the employer to the employee, depending on which plan it is, right? So defined benefit pension plan is typically offered by employers and guarantees some specific retirement benefit based on factors such as years of service, salary, et cetera. And the responsibility of funding and managing the plan lies permanently and primarily with the employer, whereas the defined contribution plan 
actually puts the onus on the employee where employees contribute a part of their salary towards this plan and there's a different calculation to it, right? That's correct. Yeah. So a defined benefit plan provides retirees with a sense of security. So as they know the exact amount they'll receive in retirement, there's a calculation they'll receive probably every year employees do. And then when you retire, it'll kind of tell you what your calculations, what you receive. And the onus is on the employer to ensure there are sufficient funds to meet the potential benefits. However, these plans become less common in recent years due to financial burdens they can place on an employer. You know, there you know, it used to be that golden ticket if you got a defined benefit, but you know, you are relying on that company to make up any shortfalls and it could be an issue further down the line. Exactly right. So as you say, defined benefit pension plans aren't as common these days. They still do exist. I know it's, well, for example, CIBC has a defined benefit pension plan, but other companies would prefer to pass that off to the employee to manage. So the defined contribution plans are more prevalent today. And in that plan, the employer and the employee contribute a set percentage or amount of the salary into an individual account. And then these contributions are invested in different investment options, which are chosen by the employee. I think that's the biggest difference people need to be aware of. In the defined benefit plan, the employee does not have a choice. It just goes into a pool that is managed by the employer, whereas in the defined contribution, it is absolutely 100% the employee's choice, which directly can impact the results, right? Exactly. Yeah. Contributions made to a defined contribution plan along with the investment returns, decide really what the account balance is going to be at the end of the day. So it's not as much as, you know, upon retirement, the employee can use the accumulated funds to generate retirement income through options like what we're going to talk about, RIFs and LIFTs. Mm -hmm. Unlike defined benefit plans, retirement income from the defined contribution plan is not predetermined and really depends on the performance of the investment. So you have to be on top of these. Yeah, and I've heard people argue both for and against both plans. Because some employees might say, well, if I have a defined contribution plan, then I get to choose my outcome. I'm sort of steering the ship. And maybe I like that flexibility over how much growth I'm going to have. Where others have a defined benefit plan say, well, I like the fact that I don't have to think about it. It's just a set dollar amount that is guaranteed, right? That's a huge difference, I would say. Well, it is. And we talk to clients all the time. You know, when if you don't really understand finance, you know, it can be, you can go to the stereotypes where you're buying stocks and you're trading and you're taking this type of risk. But whether it's defined benefit or defined contribution, you still want to manage it like a pension. This is what's going to provide income for you for the rest of your life when you quit or leave the company or emergencies. So knowing what the difference are and how you should manage it is it's what we're here for. For sure, for sure. And I've also seen in the past, certain occupations tend to commute defined benefit pension plans for different reasons. Like I've had people that are, I don't know, more like firefighters, police officers, those type of people that for whatever reason, they want to have the funds for their estate. I don't know why. Have you run into that in the past? Yeah, it's pretty common. People ask about commuting their, the value of their portfolio. Yeah. And there's always reasons for it. There has to be a good one because there's significant tax consequences when you commute 
your defined benefit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it might be that freedom of you have large amount of debt. You don't trust the company you work for. You want to start accessing higher amounts so that that freedom when you take it out comes into play. And for some people, it may work where they have the tax consequences isn't quite as great. But for others, it, you know, for, let's say, just for argument's sake, a nurse who has a very strong pension plan, you have to have a really good reason to commute it because the money should be there. I got a reason that it gets commuted. People lose their jobs. And, you know, then they say, well, what do I do with my pension plan? Well, you, in that case, you actually have to commute it. And then it becomes a lira, which you're going to talk about in a little bit, right? But yeah, it's really important for individuals, I didn't say that correctly, kind of mumbled it, to assess their own financial situation, risk tolerance, long-term goals. And that's going to, in some cases, I guess, determine should they commute, should they leave it? Should they change employers? Should they, you know, stick with their defined benefit plan where they are? Or maybe they like the options of a defined contribution plan with a competitor company. So I guess consulting with somebody like yourself, Blair, doing some financial planning around that is really a necessity. Yeah. I mean, definitely to understand what it is, how it's going to work for you in the future, what you need, you know, whether it's a defined benefit or a defined contribution plan, you know, it's, it's really essential for those savers to take advantage of the retirement benefits while they're with the company mm-hmm. that's available to make it, but, you know, make conscious choices aligns with their financial goals. And that's again, why we're here. You know, there's, there's a lot of buckets you can put your money into and you want to make sure you're taking advantage of them. What is your saying? A plan without a goal is just a wish. Yes. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Good. Well, I just pulled that one out of my back pocket. But all right, well, listen, we're not going to beat the pension plan discussion to death here. But I think, as you say, it's just important to understand what kind of plan you have. But let's move on to some of the other acronyms that we talked about, starting with RRSPs, which stands for Registered Retirement Savings Plan. Now, an RRSP is a personal retirement savings account that allows individuals to contribute part of their income on a pre-tax basis. And those contributions grow tax-free until withdrawal. But the important part there is that it's not tax-free forever. You are taxed when you withdraw the money, right? Yeah. The best term for it, it's it's a tax deferral. Yes. So in the future, you know, when that RSP becomes what we call a RIF, RRIF, a registered retirement income fund, you got to think of it like a, a glass that you've been filling up. Now you're turning it upside down and it's going to start pouring out. So yeah. once you create that RIF, It's a retirement income vehicle, and it allows you to withdraw a predetermined amount from the retirement savings each year. So again, there is a minimum you have to take out, and it goes back to your financial plan. How much do I need to take out? What are their income sources? And because you've never paid tax, and I think this is one thing that confuses people where we talk about a tax deferral, every dollar you've put in the RSP, you've never paid tax on that dollar. So when you take that dollar out, Ideally, it's growing, but let's say you just take that $1. Now that dollar has to be taxed Mm -hmm. and hopefully it's in a much more marginal tax rate from you than when you put it in, the whole idea of kicking that tax down the road and the withdrawals are taxable and supply a steady income stream during retirement. Yeah, that's the whole point of it is that you're putting it in during your working years where your marginal tax rate is at its highest and you're taking it out during your retirement years when in theory, your marginal tax rate would be lower, right? 
Yeah. And if you have a savings plan that provides income much higher than when you were working and you were a really good saver, you know what? People don't like to hear it, but that's a good tax problem. Like you did really well for yourself. Yeah. Now you mentioned the withdrawal rates just for our listeners. I know that the quick calculation is, and if there's an age calculation that's, that's more specific, but the quick calculation is one over 90 minus your age equals your minimum RIF withdrawal is the quick calculation. But if somebody wanted to get their, their real withdrawal rate, they could just give you a call. Yeah. What's your phone number again? (laughs) anyways call Blair Blair can help you with that so let's move on to Liras which we talked about earlier a Lira stands for a locked in retirement account and it is a type of account that holds locked in pension funds from former employers registered pension plans so this would be like it could be a defined benefit pension plan that was commuted and it goes into a Lira or it could be I guess a defined contribution plan that also was transferred in that would go into a lira. Is that right? Yeah. So the funds are locked in and they're locked in to preserve them for retirement. So this is a bit of a, a thorn in people's sides. They say, I've got this lira. I can't get the money out fast enough. Or, But the reason they can't is because there's pension legislation that determines how much their withdrawal can be from that plan, right? Well, that's just it. You've moved a pension from one spot to another is essentially what you're doing. And there are ways to get money out if you need it. But yeah, it's exact same legislation that you would have had with your employer. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about life income funds. Can you, can you expand on that? Yeah, so life income funds. It's similar to a RIF, but specifically designed for those locked-in funds we just talked about from a pension or a lira. It provides you with a regular income following government regulations. And, and like the RIF, it does have a minimum amount you have to take out. But unlike a RIF, there's a maximum amount that you can take out. So it's, right. it kind of locks you into a, a range. So to summarize there, so RSPs, you contribute to an RSP during your, your working years, it converts to a RIF, then you start taking it out. Whereas Liras that came from a pension plan convert to a life income fund, to which the difference is there's a minimum and a maximum withdrawal rate. I got that right? That's right. It's almost like I was reading it from a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now that we've covered the basics, let's discuss some key consideration when it comes to these retirement vehicles. So one crucial factor is understanding the contribution limits and deadlines associated with each plan. So it's important to contribute regularly to maximize the benefits these accounts offer. Isn't that the old saying? It's like, just do it. Like, just contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I stole that from Nike. Yeah, <laughs> I'm making it an investment saying now. Just do it. We're gonna have to edit that out. Or compliance will Why, be honest. I like Nike. Don't you like Nike? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not promoting their stock. I'm just saying it's a good brand. Yeah. yeah, buy their shoe. I got Nikes on right now. Yeah, watch the movie Air. That's a great movie. Yeah. Did you watch it? I did watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. And I read the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Oh, okay. About how he started Nike, and it's yeah, it wasn't what I expected, but it's worth the read. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, where were we in our discussion though? They were talking about RSP contributions and just wanted to add to it that it's worth noting that RSP contributions are tax deductible when you're putting the money in. So that's why we say, you know, if you put in a dollar, you're not going to be taxed on it. So if you were, you're going to get that tax back. But when you withdraw, you're going to be taxed on that dollar anyways from RIFs and lifts are fully taxable when the money comes out. 
So individuals need to plan their withdrawals strategically to minimize the tax impact during retirement. And we talked about that, kind of that income layering of where does the money come from? What's the tax going to look like? And how much am I actually going to see in my bank account? Yeah. I also want to get into the fact that we're going to talk about asset allocation, but also asset location, specifically when it comes to registered plans. So asset allocation means that Listen, when you put your money into these investments, you've got to come up with your mix of stocks and bonds and other asset classes, right? But you've also got to determine, well, which securities am I going to use? Am I going to use mutual funds, stocks, bonds, ETFs, liquid alts? I mean, there's all kinds of different types of securities. It's really important to assess your risk tolerance and choose investments that align with those goals that you've set out that are going to feed into your asset allocations, how much risk you should have, right? That's exactly right. But the other part of it is asset location. So because you mentioned that when you put money into an RSP, you get a tax deduction on the way in, and then money is allowed to grow tax deferred until it's withdrawn decades later, there may be a reason to own different types of asset classes in your registered accounts than your non-registered accounts. For example, Owning bonds in your RSPs seems to make a lot of sense because bonds typically attract your marginal tax rate on their income, but in a RSP converted to a RIF, well, they don't, right? The only tax rate that is applied is when you withdraw the money, which is going to be at your marginal tax rate down the road, which is going to be lower, right? Exactly. So I don't want to spend too much time on asset location today, but I think it is a really important subject and I'd recommend anybody listening to the podcast. I think it's like your parents and my parents at this point. Give us a call and we can definitely go through asset location strategies. Yeah, well, it's just as important as you said, asset allocation. More money to you, less to the government. That's the goal. Yeah. What about monitoring? Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah, so definitely don't want to forget about the importance of regular monitoring and adjusting the portfolios. So it's a good idea to always review your investment periodically and make any necessary adjustment based on changing conditions, risk appetite. We usually say if you're making major changes, it should be made because of goals, not because of what's happening today. Yeah. And as you know, with our clients, we're, that's our job. For sure. Did you ever follow Deming? Does that name mean anything to you? No. So Deming was a, I don't know what he was. He's a guy, wrote a book. But it was all about plan, do, check, act, which is essentially what you're talking about. So you do a plan, right? You figure out how much you need to put into RSPs, non-RSPs. You figure out your asset location, your asset allocation. That's the plan, right? The do is you then just like implement it. You got to implement the strategy. The check is just what you talked about. You got to go back and monitor regularly. Like, I don't know if it's every month, every three months, whatever the case might be. You know, how are things going? And if things are going off course, you got to course correct. And that's the act. So that's a plan, do, check, act. It's a Deming model that I've followed quite closely. But I'm not sure why I went off on that tangent, but it seemed to make sense. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the important. It's it's one thing just to kind of go in and review the, the portfolio and make sure it hasn't drifted or, or changes. But really, it's always the planning. You know, yeah. what has changed in your life? Has your goals changed? Has your risk tolerance? Do you need more money? Do you need less money? And... If you're always being aware of those changes, you can make the changes that need to be changed immediately instead of waiting for, hey, I want to retire next year, but I need way more money than I need it. Yeah, oh, yeah. We should have I, talked about it 10 years ago. <laughs> exactly. 
But let's just say those changes are not predicated by a change in market direction on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. So anyways, that's a whole other subject we could spend another hour on. But let's give some perspective to listeners about RSP account sizes. And I read some research recently. Honestly, Blair, I don't remember where it was, so I can't quote them. But let's just say it was factual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if it's average, on the internet, it's got to be true. It was on the interweb. Yeah. yeah. The average Canadian has approximately around $120,000 in their RSP account. So this highlights the importance of consistent contributions over time that helps to build this substantial retirement fund because most people don't have $120,000 of RSP room to just like put it all in at once. It's obviously deposits that have been made over years. Yeah, exactly. The power of compounding interest and dollar cost averaging. And yeah, those are significant numbers. You know, when it comes to pension plans, you know, there was a third party study conducted that approximately 60% of employees in the US have access to a workplace plan. This emphasizes the importance of understanding the details of your employer sponsored plans and taking advantage of the benefits it, it offers. We have to. There's a reason why you have things like benefits when you work somewhere, right? Those could be health, dental, retirement, life insurance. I mean, you got to take advantage of those. And if you don't, if you don't have access to those those types of things, there are ways to get them on your own, right? I mean, you can, that's a whole other subject, so we won't spend any time on that today. But the numbers you talked about, they clearly show the significance of these retirement vehicles. And it's, it's really crucial for individuals to educate themselves about options available and make those informed decisions that help secure that financial future. I mean, if you're not planning, what did you say about a tree? What's the best time to plant a tree? Yeah, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Yeah. The next best time is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just do it. Yeah. I did it again. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. All right. Let's get into the last part of our discussion today, which is on another acronym, Tax-Free Savings Account, which you called the TIFSA, which I also hear called the TSFA or TISFA which is just not true. It is the tax-free savings account. And it is exactly what it says, right? Yeah, I prefer tax-free savings account as well. So yeah, it's a very versatile and powerful tool for saving and investing. It allows individuals to grow their money tax-free, make an attractive choice for for Canadians. You know, I I remember when it came out, it was a very low amount. And most people kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And now, you know, for our financial planning, our portfolio planning, it's significant. Well, I think because when it came out, it was $5,000 per person. And most people, not most people, people that have wealth said, well, what's the big deal? I can put $5,000 in this account. It grows tax-free forever. So what? But now that number is significantly higher because it's been, when did it come out? Do you remember? 2009. So 2009. So you've you've got 14 years of contributions you've been able to make now to a tax-free savings account that is growing tax-free. So I think that's why people kind of scoffed at it at the beginning. But so let's start by explaining what it is. So it is a registered account. It allows individuals who are 18 years or older to save and invest money without incurring taxes. And this is important on the income earned or on the growth, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the key advantages of the the tax-free account is that any income generated from investments, it doesn't matter if it's Interest, dividend, and capital gains is is tax free. We'll put a caveat there that you know there are some 
miscellaneous items, but for the most part, it's all tax-free. This means that individuals can grow their money without having to worry about taxes or gains. Yeah. And I think the other benefit that people don't talk about is that because this is after tax dollars, you do not get a a deduction on your income when you contribute to a tax-free savings account, right? Your benefit is that it grows tax-free or the income earned within the tax-free savings account is tax-free. But let's say you got to take money out to, I don't know, for whatever, buy a car, fund a wedding, whatever the case might be. If you had put $10,000 into a tax-free savings account and it had grown to $50,000 over those 14 years, right? If you took out the whole $50,000, you can recontribute the whole $50,000, not just the original $10,000 that you originally contributed, right? That's right. You just have to wait to the next calendar year. and Yeah, which is way different than a RSP. If you take out that $50,000 from your RSP, you're taxed on that $50,000 as income and you lose that contribution room forever. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the crucial point is, you know, RSPs are for retirement. And when you take money out before that or, or more than you need, it is a bit of a penalty that you're saying we're a tax-free savings account. You know, it's, it's a great investment for both long or short term, especially for emergencies. Yeah, what do they say in the movie Slapshot? You and I both have watched Slapshot many times over the years. The goalie he goes, he says, you go to the box and you feel shame. That's right. Something like that. Like yeah. you cash out your RSP, you're going to the penalty box and you're, you don't get to get back on the ice for that amount. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You pay high tax on it and you don't get that back. So yeah. 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 There are people who do need to take it out for emergencies and that might be their only option, but if you don't have to, don't. Yeah. And that TFSA or tax-free savings account has an annual contribution limit. It is set annually by the the sitting government. It's varied in its contribution limit between $5,000 and $10,000 a year, depending on who is in government. Currently, it's, I think it's $6,500 per person for 2023. Well, I don't think so. I, I know that to be fact. And the cumulative contribution limit. So if somebody was over 18 years of age, had not contributed anything through their lifetimes, and they were over 18 back in 2009, they can just literally drop in $88,000 into a tax-free savings account like today. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, pretty good. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a big number. Yeah. And now it is significant. So yeah, it, it's crucial for individuals to look at what their contribution room and ensure they stay within those limits because there are penalties or tax implications for over-contribution as well. And you can go on a CRA website and it'll show you what your tax-free room is. But yeah, you just want to make sure you know exactly what your your limit is on that. All right. In the interest of time, I'm just going to sort of go through the next few bullet points on tax-free savings accounts kind of quickly. But the question we often get is like, well, what can you put into a tax-free savings account? And the answer is, well, anything, right? Well, not anything, but stocks, bonds, mutual funds, GICs, ETFs, term deposits, anything you can put into an RSP, you can put into a tax-free savings account, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. But as we mentioned, the difference is like when you take it out, you're just not taxed on it. And you're not taxed on any income created within that tax-free savings account, right? Now, the other question I get is, well, isn't this just like a way of transferring wealth for wealthy Canadians between, I don't know, different family members or what would you say to that? Like parent to kid kind of thing. Oh, you mean where a parent is topping up a tax-free savings account? For, yeah. Is for this the- a, a pre-estate transfer? It's not. 
they have to be over 18 to get a tax-free savings account. There are attribution rules. So you can't just move money around willy-nilly. And I guess it depends, you know, is 88,000 for a very wealthy family who are able to kind of do that a lot of money? It might be, but I don't really see it as kind of a wealth shelter by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Well, and I think most people, like not too many 18-year-olds can contribute to an RSB, a TFSA, a first home savings account. I mean, they just don't have access to that kind of capital when you're younger, right? But the point is that you need to have a strategy and you need to fund it. You need to just do it, Blair. Well, yeah. And you got to know too, you talk about knowing what all these accounts are and these the asset location. And for people who can't afford to kind of fill out all the buckets, then it's, well, what goes in my TFSA? What am I going to use for? But it's not a a wealthy person account. You know, if you're making less than, I think Jamie Golombek did a study with CIBC where really that magic number is $66,000 a year. If you're making less than $60,000 a year, maybe an RSP isn't right for you. Maybe a a tax-free savings account makes more sense. And then it's really an account that allows you to save, to grow your money. And that's at the end of the day, what you want. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I think that does it for today. What do you think? This was good. That was a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. We sort of skimmed over some pretty important pieces. So again, I, I can't emphasize enough, have a plan and stick to it. Right. And if you're lacking that plan, I don't know. Give Blair a call. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. All right. I'll call you. That's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.